0: So I guess what's what's a good place to start is a good old-fashioned confession. <laughs> uh, confession of the week. Um, I've had a really really rough week, um, and it's not even that bad. Ultimately, like I, nobody died, nobody got sick. Just you know, lots of struggle and strife. Um, so I would I uh, posted an article onto my Facebook page, which you guys are welcome to go look at. It was from uh, it was posted by originally by Desiring God uh, Ministries, and it was written by a lady who uh, uh, was part of a family in Oregon or in Washington or something like that, and then they made a move over to India. And the title of it is called uh, The Sanctifying Grace of Inefficiency. And um, all the struggles that we encounter, the way that um, thorns creep up out of the ground uh, as fruit of our labors, no matter how good we try, um, there is a sanctifying grace and a fellowship with God that he, he will bring in the midst of that. And um, I was trying really hard to press into that this week. I can't say I did great, but (laughs) um, that was a really uh, encouraging article. Uh, If you all feel like uh, looking at my Facebook page, you can find that. Another thing that was really rough this week was um, I go into people's houses every day. I'm an HVAC contractor, so I'm always looking at people's furnaces and air conditioners. Right. One thing that I have noticed in this past week more than the previous weeks was um, how heavy and weighty the amount of fear that people are dealing with right now. Um, People are totally shackled and oppressed by fear right now. That is very much what I've encountered all week. And um, as a Christian, I'm not allowed to fear like that. (laughs) We're not allowed to fear like that. Um, the, The most repeated command in the scriptures is fear not right? The only fear we're allowed to fully engage in and fully uh, experience without shame is the fear of God. So when he shows up, you end up in a crumpled, piled mess covering your head, screaming, I'm a man of unclean lips. That's a very healthy, good fear because it is due in accordance with the nature of God. It's it's very appropriate fear. That's the only fear anyone is allowed to truly engage in and not have to crucify, not have to war against. Um. That being said, uh, that would probably be my first point today. I I had a really hard time with this sermon trying to figure out what one point or whatever we should hammer out. I have four. So that's the first one is the fear. Um, And we need to pray as though it is a spiritual war for the heart and the soul of our nation, of our communities, and so forth. It is a fearful time for a lot of people. And as Christians, we have the solution. Perfect love casts out fear. The love of God in Christ Jesus that we are participants in, we are uh, inheritors of, and we have that love that casts out the fear. Um, and that is a blessing we can give to the nations right now. And to set the captives free. They are shackled, they are oppressed, and they are fearful. That is a That would be a wonderful work uh, to engage in. Not just in prayer, but in practical ways of Um, people are scared to go out, people are scared to do this or that, being able to serve in this time, casting out fear and destroying that, and trying to be sensitive to that fear in the sense of not yielding to it, but being gracious to the people that are suffering under that. That is a terrible weight. I have experienced it all week with the people that I've been going into their houses with. Um, May we consider how God would uh, call us to minister to that very real need right now. Um, the other three topics today are going to be repentance, um, reaping what you sow, and the law of recipro- uh, reciprocity. Excuse me, and humbling ourselves. I couldn't figure out which one to go after. Um, they kept me up all night, all three of them. So I'm just going to go ahead and rapid fire, try to get through all this. I do encourage you to have a pen and pencil or pen and paper handy, because um, I'm going to be throwing out a lot of scriptures that it may not be able, you may not be able to keep up um, so just try to write them down. That way, in the event something strikes your interest, you can try to, um, follow up with that this week. So when it comes to repentance, I went ahead and did what all good men of God do. I plagiarized severely one of Greg's sermons. (laughs) Um, all good men of God are good at plagiarization because there's nothing new under the sun, um, and, uh, uh, wisdom of God never changes. So, you're always going to be repeating the wisdom of God. (laughs) Doesn't matter who wrote it down first. Um, So I took this from, and you can find this and follow along if you were watching from the the podcast or the the live stream, excuse me. Uh, You can find this on the website, uh, well, under Biblical Vocabulary Series uh, Repentance. And I believe if there's outlines or whatever, we may not have outlines for everybody. We could probably try to send that out or post it with this video. Um, But that's what it came from, eight critical components concerning uh, repentance. Uh, So I'll just kind of cover not all eight, but actually just highlight the last three in this uh, outline, which I know you don't have, but perhaps you can find it later and we'll hopefully make it available. Um, Repentance in the Greek is metanoia. It, It is literally defined as a compunction for guilt, reformation, reversal of decision. It's taken from the verb to think differently afterwards to reconsider. To think differently afterwards or to reconsider. So that's what repentance means, literally. Uh, But practically, what does it look like in the life of a Christian? Um, The three aspects, and this is not exhaustive by any means, but it's just the three that I'm going to highlight for today's purposes. Repentance is an ongoing daily foundation of the Christian life. If we think of it... um, The purposes of God in the earth are to gather a people unto Himself. The Holy Spirit is always about this stuff, right? He is always uh, gathering that people, cleansing them, sanctifying them, and preparing them for the marriage supper of the Lamb, okay? If that's the overall context, the sanctification sanctification work of the Holy Spirit would necessitate that Christians who are sinful and repent and are cleansed and are forgiven— would they would walk forward, but then, if they're being continually sanctified, there is more and more sin that they are either becoming guilty of or that's being rooted out of their heart. So to have repentance as a daily, ongoing foundation of the Christian life, it's a lifestyle. You have to have a mentality of, it's entirely possible I'm wrong, that I'm in sin, and therefore I might need to be repenting at any given time as the Holy Spirit would give illumination or um, give correction through the people of God, through the word, and so forth. Um, that is a very fundamental concept on repentance. We have to have it in our bones that hum- we have to be humble enough to recognize that we need to repent potentially every single day, every single moment, as the Holy Spirit would bring conviction and illumination. And repentance is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of God. It's initiated by God. And he brings that conviction for us to bring us about into a greater maturity and sanctification. Second point that I'm going to highlight today is repentance brings forth fruit. Bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. If you'll remember my... Last, I think it was the last one, I focused on, last time I was up here, I focused a lot on obedience and fruit and Christian maturation that brings forth fruit. Repentance as a lifestyle will bring forth fruit. It involves a change in behavior. It'll produce these oncoming changes, both in the character and the lifestyle of the Christian, and the repentance will change one's path and therefore one's destiny. Again, I'm plagiarizing severely, so it'll all be on the outline almost verbatim to this. <laughs> but that's, the point is, repentance will change us, and therefore there will be good fruit that comes from godly repentance. Third point, repentance is not just from, but most importantly, toward. What do we mean by that? In repentance, um, you're convicted of sin. Generally, you'll find yourself holding on to that sin. It'll be a pride. It'll be a, uh, a, a bitterness or an offense. It'll be a, uh, maybe a, a besetting sin, something that's been with you for many years that you've never really fully conquered, but you have an affection for it nonetheless. You have a, it's a familiarity with it. Repentance is being convicted that this is sin and then releasing it. That is repentance in its first step. The next step is you have to do a 180 and go away from it. But you're not just randomly going away from it. You're releasing the sin in order to turn around and lay hold of God and then be led by the Spirit out of that situation, distance being put behind you and the sin. That is true biblical repentance. It is not just laying it down and standing still. It is quite actively going the other direction by clinging to God and becoming more dependent on His grace, on His work, on His Spirit's leading, and submitted to His Word. That is a very helpful, I think, um, picture of what repentance really looks like. It changes our central focus from the thing that kills us <laughs> to the one who gives us life. It changes our heart it returns us to the first love that we would have as Christians. And again, it's not just the initial thing of salvation. If this is a daily ongoing lifestyle, we would therefore potentially have drifted from our first love that for the one who first called us. And we have to return to that. Repentance is therefore falling back in love with Christ for the first time or again and again and again as the need arises. So, I'm going to rapid fire a couple of the scriptures that are on that outline. And just kind of, I may not do all of these. But of course, uh, Daniel Williams, the last time he was up, uh, focused on Matthew 3, 2. I don't know if that was the exact reference, but it's everywhere in the Gospels. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's a commandment, therefore. Matthew 3, 6 through 10 And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid to the root of the trees, Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Luke 15, 7, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Luke 24, 47, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Acts 2, 37-40. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, and be saved from this perverse generation. Acts 3, 19 through 21. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things. Acts 5.31 He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Acts 17.30 Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Acts 26.20, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. And we'll just go ahead and skip a couple because there's a long list. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. As I said before, I had three, four topics that aren't necessarily woven brilliantly together. They're kind of disjointed, but perhaps we might be able to build... I'm kind of at the point where I'm like, I'm just going to fire in all directions and see what sticks, because it was pretty rough trying to put something together that sounded perfectly seamless. So that was like the repentance section. We are going to look at um, how... As we repent of our deeds that, we do not, that do not accord with righteousness, but then we cling to the life of God. We let go of the sin and we cling to the life of God. What does it look like when we cling to the life of God? What is the lifestyle? What are the things that go on in the Christian life? Um, there are two passages, 2 Timothy 2 and Galatians 5 and 6. Now these are going to be a little bit longer readings, but I want you to write them down. 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 26. Galatians 5, starting in verse 13, going all the way to the end of chapter 6. Um, This will be in the section about reaping what you sow. Verse 14 Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord, depart from iniquity. Kind of like repenting. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, Faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil "'Against such things there is no law, "'and those who belong to Christ Jesus "'have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. "'If we live by the Spirit, "'let us also keep in step with the Spirit. "'Let us not become conceited, "'provoking one another, envying one another.'" Chapter 6. "'Brothers, if anyone is caught in any trespass, "'or transgression, excuse me, "'you who are spiritual should restore him "'in a spirit of gentleness. "'Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted.'" Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be unto them, and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. We'll talk more about reaping and sowing, but I wanted to put a little bit of a sidebar in here. Um, This is an off-topic comment. The reason I read to the end of the chapter was that phrase in verse 16, this rule. As for those who walk by this rule. When I read that at first, I didn't recognize it. I didn't remember it. Um, Because I think we get most of our theology topics from the the bulk of five and six. You know, That's where we generally camp out. We don't always read to the end of the chapter. So it didn't uh, ping in my memory. So I was like, okay, this rule, that means this law, right? No, that is not this law. Um, the word rule in this one is the Greek word kanon, which means area of influence, uh, where we get the word canon, so like the authoritative canon of Scripture, is kanon. Um, it means area of influence, but it's also regularly translated as sphere in uh, 2 Corinthians 10 verses 13, 15, and 16. Um, and that's the um, area of Scripture where Paul defends his ministry to the Corinthians, that he stayed within his scope his the, the sphere of influence, his canon that God had apportioned to him within the Corinthian church. And as they increased in faith, so, his, so the canon actually increased. His area of influence increased as they grew in the Lord. Um, he's defending that, and that he didn't try to build on someone else's works and so forth. So that passage in Second Corinthians 10 and this portion, the rule of uh, Galatians 6.16, those are the only times that word is utilized in the New Testament. Um, and I tried to find variants of that word. If I'm missing it, I'm sorry, but I couldn't find any variants. So it was literally those four usages of that word um, in the Greek New Testament. So that was actually pretty uh, concrete. So why I found that interesting is because I think it has a direct application to a topic we talk a lot about called spiritual authority. Um, Recognizing that spiritual authority is first off delegated by God, it's apportioned. um, uh, the, The the person or the individual who is delegated authority of God is apportioned a sphere of influence, a canon, and the metron or measure of that canon is such that um, it is their responsibility and it is wise to discern that scope, wise to discern the boundaries and the sphere of authority that you've actually been entrusted with. Um, so we talk a lot about spiritual authority. I had never seen that in that passage before, nor did I understand it, so I just, as Greg says, no extra charge. <laughs> Um, Back to reaping and sowing. Sorry. (laughs) That was my big uh, sidebar. As Greg would say, no extra charge. Yeah. Now back to sowing reaping. Okay. So in Galatians 5, verses 7, oh no, uh, 5 starting with verse 7, no, verse 7 of chapter 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And I totally just took myself out there. Okay. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to the household of faith. What does it mean to sow to the Spirit? For the reward is eternal life. Sowing to the Spirit is the righteous works that we are to perform in the name of Jesus. As we mentioned before, when we repent, we are repenting, and expected to bear fruit in accordance with that repentance. To do the works that Christ saved us to do. So sowing to the Spirit is sowing works that are life-giving works. They appear in seed form and must be sown for future benefit. It is not an immediate Type Sometimes it's very powerful and immediate, but a lot of times you're sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing and pouring out and pouring out and pouring out, doing good to the household of faith, trying to bless everyone around you potentially, hopefully, um, to the degree that you don't necessarily see what God's doing with that, with those labors of love, of grace, of compassion, of mercy, of um, just overall just communication of blessing. I want to ponder on this a little bit more, but let's examine a couple other scriptures about sowing and reaping. Proverbs 11, we'll do 18 and 19, skip a couple and go from 23 to the end of the chapter, which will end on um, verse 31. Proverbs 11, 18 and 19. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but he who pursues evil will die. Be assured, an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Skipping down to 23. The desire of the righteous ends only in good, the expectation of the wicked in wrath. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing... Um, sorry, will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? Pretty easy to see the principle at work in these Proverbs. You reap what you sow. Righteous deeds to life, unrighteous deeds to death and destruction. Jesus says in Luke 6, 37 and 38, Judge not. And you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is what's called the law of reciprocity, biblically defined. There are a lot of worldly ways of understanding that. So if you do law of reciprocity into Google, there's all kinds of things you'll find. But this is the proof text, if you will, in the scripture of the definition of the law of reciprocity as God has ordained it. There are a lot of worldly ways, so be careful of that. But these two principles, sowing and reaping, law of reciprocity, basically, you get back what you put in. Every man is subject to them because they are woven into the very fabric of reality and nature as expressions of the nature of God in his created order they're based on his attributes namely justice goodness and wisdom to name a few this created order is established by him who is just good and wise we are able to see quite clearly these invisible attributes of God declared forth from within the natural order by observing this seemingly agricultural principle of you reap what you sow this principle is set forth in Genesis 1, 11 to 12. And God said, Let the earth sprout forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Jesus Enumerated the same principle in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, verse 16 through 23. Sorry about all these scriptures. I told you rapid fire today. <laughs> you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. God has arranged the natural order to utilize and declare to, to express the mysteries of God. From images of seed going into the ground, dying, to coming forth bearing fruit sixty hundredfold of what the one seed did, is an image of the resurrection. It's the image of the death of Christ and the resurrection and new creation that comes from it. This is we witness this every single year. All throughout time, as long as the earth's going on, as long as the sun's still shining, and the rain's still coming, we're going to see this declaration of resurrection life woven into the nature of the agriculture and the nature around us. It's really cool, and we have to observe that because that's how the scripture, that's how Jesus utilizes analogy, natural order, parable, if you will, to express and declare the true kingdom of God. He teaches according to these things that are already well known to everyone in creation. No one is able to be unaccountable for these testimonies within nature. Um, Romans 1 goes into that quite clearly. I won't probably read that one today, but uh, you can write that down too, because that's a good one. Um, The invisible attributes of God are evident for all people to see in nature. So anyway, all of this... These principles are evident there, but therefore there's also consistency. We can actually derive principles and laws, natural laws that are testifying of God's nature and order and uh, attributes. When Jesus says, you who practice lawlessness, what is God's law? How are we to understand that? It is the measure of his justice. It's the measure of his righteousness. It's the measure of his perfection and wisdom that are, that's written down in scripture, certainly, but it's also inherent and woven into nature, as we already said. These are testimonies of the law of God. People that practice lawlessness go against God's order, go against God's word, go against God's way of doing things. This lawlessness is literally the essence of sin. When they are engaging in lawlessness, in sin, they are sowing contrary to God's way of doing sowing. (laughs) Since we'll wax analogies, we'll wax imagery. Contrary either sowing seed that will not bear fruit or life, that won't bear life. They'll sow seed that bears destruction and death, for the wages of sin is death. And God is holy and just enough that when bad seed is sown, the consequence is death. That's a good thing. That means the sin is will not be perpetuated. It will be cut off. It will end. It will die. Problem is, all of creation and us are wrapped up in this dying. We're all subject to sin. We're all subject to death and temperance, temporal permanence. That's a bummer. (laughs) That's the bad news. This is why we require a savior. We require a deliverer. We require someone to come and set us free from this bondage of death and sin. Jesus is that Messiah. He is that Savior. He is that Deliverer. He bled and died on the cross for the just punishment of sin. He who was sinless once and for all satisfied the just requirement of death for sin before God by making a way for us, by being obedient even unto the death on a cross. And we can therefore trust in him for that salvation. We can trust in him to give us the grace that accords to new life. We can become new creatures in him. Members of the new creation, according to a new rule, a new canon, a new authority, a new creation, a new kingdom. And as members of the new creation, the life of God lives in us in such a powerful way that we can actually dispense that life. We can sow it. We can communicate it. We can share it. When Jesus was confronted with lepers, he touched them. The life of God in Christ is so powerful, it's so clean, it's so holy, that when, it's in, when it encounters disease, sickness, sin, death, any of the effects of that, it cleanses it. That's how potent the life of God is in you, in me, in Christ. We have the solution for the problem, we have the antidote to the disease. We have the life that conquers death living in us. The blood that washes us clean is powerful enough through us to cleanse that which is around us. The new creation life flowing from him is so potent that it's antiseptic to the curse. That is the same life in us and it is powerful. We have that same power to cleanse and forgive and remove the stain of sin in his name. And as priests and mediators of the grace and presence of God in the earth we must sow life to reap life. We must sow life to extend the kingdom and participate with the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit who is always preparing us and the rest of creation and all those who are far off for Christ's return. John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Revelation 2, shifting gears here just a touch. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. God calls the church in Ephesus to return to the love they had at the beginning. To this end, he calls them to repentance and to engage in works that are consistent with loving him with their whole heart. Loving God with your whole heart requires deeds that are consistent with the love. Indeed, our labors should be expressions of our love and gratitude to God for what he has done for us. Good works are to be worship. So one sidebar, taking a pause on the reaping and sowing, lest anybody get confused, I'm not talking about salvation by works. <laughs> when I emphasize works, I'm not talking about being saved by these works. I'm talking about the works that accord with the godly living. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are not saved by works. We are saved unto a life of works that glorify God, and the grace of God empowers us to do just that. These are the works I'm referring to, just in case that was unclear. End sidebar. Like the Ephesian church, we are all prone to drift. In Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, composed by hymnodist and pastor Robert Robinson, hopefully that was accurate, that was a Google search, (laughs) the lyric goes... (laughs) Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. I believe this is a perennial issue for all Christians and is what befell the church in Ephesus. In their warring against false prophets and their struggles with the apostate Nicolaitans, all the while being entrenched in the city that was the Roman center for Diana or Artemis worship, they wandered from their first love, from pure and simple devotion to the Lord. The seed that they had begun to sow was no longer full of love, and therefore the good fruit of eternal life would not be springing up from them. This serves as a warning for all the churches to heed. You reap what you sow. Sow good works from a heart of love for God. These are the works of the new creation life. Extending grace to a less mature brother or sister. Restoring and correcting a brother or sister who's in sin. Forgiving sins, bearing one another's burdens in love, having compassion on the weak or the hurting, mercy ministries like feeding the poor, standing in the gap for the less fortunate or oppressed, hosting a Bible study in your home, teaching someone how to manage money or hold down a job, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of these labors or works have spiritual import and please the heart of God and contribute to life and the removal of the curse and the effect of sin when engaged in from a heart of loving service. This is sowing towards the Spirit. So what are the works that sow to the flesh? We already read them in Galatians 5. But now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, so on and so forth, we all know. He warns, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. When we sow in this direction, we contribute to the already present decay. We have not operated redemptively. Therefore, we must repent and change the ways we act and think. We must humble ourselves so that the grace of God may come near and alter the way we respond in an argument, the way we flare up in anger when adversity strikes, the way we complain about our boss or the weather or our roommate or spouse. We must find ourselves sowing life by appropriating the grace of God in his word, spirit, and church to crucify the flesh and therefore dispense the life that he has indeed imbued us to reconcile hearts to him. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Deuteronomy 8.2 And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. 2 Samuel 22. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. and With the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. Psalm 25, 9. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exalt in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them all the judgment written. This is honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my front throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Matthew 18, 1 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 through 11. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the appropriate time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world." And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the, the dominion forever and ever. Amen. May we find ourselves approaching this Sunday morning, the Lord, humbly, ascending his mountain, repenting of all of our dead works, repenting of the works and the deeds of the flesh, and asking for the seed of life for sowing may we come to him for that supply that we would be able to bless the nations extend his kingdom and share his life with this broken and hurting world let's just pray god we love you and we need you desperately we would desire to leave behind the things that so easily ensnare us, the things that would hinder us from you, God. Send your Holy Spirit to convict us of these things today and all throughout this next week. Cause us to confess these sins and repent truly, releasing them and turning the other way and clinging to you. That we would pray for one another, we would restore one another, that we would extend your forgiveness and confirmation of your forgiveness to the brethren. Lord, that we would be sanctified for your purposes, that we would be humbled according to these, according to your purposes in our midst. Bring power, God. Bring the life and the power of God to our midst. Transform us even today. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen.